uh, that day is going to be a really, really exciting time. So with that in mind, um, let's roll this. So I've been working on my Irish accent. You guys ready? Jump in the morning. I'm Seamus. That's about as good as I got. So you guys could clap for that. That was really good. I worked on that all night. Um, if you didn't know, uh, we are in a series called Above the Ceiling. It's a series, uh, a teaching series about prayer. And uh, the idea is that a lot of us, I think, maybe feel like sometimes our prayers hit the ceiling and that's where they stop. But how do we get above the ceiling? How do we get to that space in our prayer where we are doing the interaction with God? Having that communal experience, how do we even pray? Like all of these questions, I think they're pretty standard for a lot of us. And so this series is a teaching series on prayer, and I'm so excited that you are here with me. I would be remiss if I didn't start us out with a word of prayer. So, everybody, if you could just um, maybe just close your eyes and maybe hands out in front of you ready to receive. Father God, we invite you here. We invite your spirit here. In fact, we recognize that this was holy ground before we even stepped on it. And so we ask that you would open our eyes to see, attune our ears to hear, and open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. In the powerful name of Jesus, in whose authority I pray, amen, amen. Well, um, you may have noticed some people are wearing green. We have a Patrick with us, but he is not the Saint Patrick, although you are rather saintly, um, I will have to, I do have to admit, um, I want to just start up, because today is St. Patrick's Day. How many of you know about the story of St. Patrick, right? Um, we kind of celebrate St. Patrick's Day as like the celebration of Irish culture in general. Uh, what if I told you St. Patrick was not Irish? He was not. He was British, and, um, and he, when he was 13 years old, was taken by pirates and sold into slavery. So the legend says he was sold into slavery and ended up on the chaotic, most pagan, vile world of Ireland. Not much has changed. No, a lot's changed since then. Um, but he ended up in Ireland, and, um, and his job then became to care for all of the animals. And basically, he was treated very, very poorly. He got to eat maybe once a day. Um, very, very rough conditions for him. And for six years, he was a slave, enslaved on Ireland. And I don't know about you, I love a good comeback story, don't you? 
See, St. Patrick's story is, a, is the, one of the most epic comeback stories of all time because in those six years while he was enslaved and he had no opportunity to do anything, he had grown up being drugged to church. And so having some semblance of faith from his childhood, what he knew he could do is he could pray. And so he began to pray. And he began to pray, and he began to pray, and that ultimately started somehow earning him favor to where after about six years, he earned enough favor to stow away on a ship on a passage that ended up in France. And he got to France, and then he reunited with his family, and then he enrolled in school, and he ultimately became a priest and then a missionary. And God called him back to the place where he was a slave to show them the truth of God's love, of transformative faith. I don't know about you, but if God were to call me back to the place where I had been enslaved, I probably would have said, no, I'm good. Thank you much. See you later. I'm out. And in fact, probably in six years, which seems like an eternity to me, in which I was enslaved, if I were Patrick, and maybe this is just me, I would have uh, tapped out on faith probably altogether. I think sometimes that's where a lot of us live we get into the trial, we get into the situation that is far more than we feel like we can bear, and we want to just, I'm out. Anybody ever said, I'm done? Like, actually said the words, like it finally just came, I'm done, and then walk away? I, I wonder if that's where we are a lot of times with our faith. The reason why I think diving into the scripture and, and the reason why these stories of these kind of epic tales are, are so important for us. You ever read stories in scripture and you think, man, that is really extreme. <laughs> like that, those are extreme stories. And St. Patrick is an extreme story. I wonder if they're there because on some level, it's there to help us understand that no matter what, no matter what it is that we are going through, we can and will get through it. Amen? So no matter what you're facing today, you can and will get through it. Here's the other thing I want you to know. The stories in the Bible, the stories like St. Patrick where God heard his prayer and rescued him, those aren't stories that just happened. The, the, the Bible is only part of God's history. Did, did you know that? God's not done interacting with humankind. So the Bible is just part of God's history, but so are you and me and our story together as a church. We are actually a living part of God's story. Can you imagine if the stories in the scripture were like this super suburban safe kind of faith? You know, like if Moses was like, well, um, you know, my dad was the chief, and then I became the chief, and then my son became the chief, and 
God just took care of us all the time. And that was the only story. There's nothing compelling about that. Now, I'm glad that God would show up like that and be there for them, and we can celebrate that, but for a lot of us, that's not the experience that we have in our life, and so faith sometimes is not a safe kind of place, and so I I want you to know if you don't hear anything else, no matter what it is that you are going through right now, God will meet you there. God will be present with you. And no matter the outcome, one way or the other, we will get through it. So, this morning we're going to look at um, uh, at prayer, obviously. We've been searching through a prayer in John chapter 17 that Jesus prays for his disciples and for all believers that will come from his disciples. So he's praying for you and me. And so we're going to look at that prayer because I think if we're going to study prayer, if we're going to uncover prayer, what better way than to start with, you know, Jesus praying. That's a really good spot to start. And then we're going to partner it with a story in the scripture. And last week um, was entitled With Authority because I wanted us to understand You know how people end in Jesus' name. Whose authority are they really praying in? And we were challenged to um, pray very bold and very specific kinds of prayers because that breaks through the ceiling. It's not shotgun. It's not real wide. It's not flowery recitals. It is deep gut, intense kind of prayer. And we even wrote some out on this board. And over this series, as we're praying, if you have a prayer that's up on the board that gets answered, I would just love for you to go and just circle it. Just do a circle around it. My guess is God wants to have all of those prayers circled, not simply because he wants to do something in your life, but because your story will communicate and connect to the people around you, and he wants to do something in their lives through you and through your story. And so we're going to pray specific and bold prayers with authority. And today, um, we're going to learn what it means to pray with some perspective. Because I believe God is ready to meet us in real life, right here, right now, So we need to start keeping our eyes on a godly perspective. So we introduced, um, at the end of last week, we introduced a couple of um, prayer roadblocks. And I promised you that I would give you roadblocks every week. And roadblocks are just things that um, maybe cause us to stumble or keep us from praying the type of prayer or, 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 or stepping into the type of life God would have for us. And so last week... We looked at two specific roadblocks, one of them having to do with shame. And so we don't even start praying for the miracle because we believe that we are unworthy of what God would want to do to us or or through us or with us. And um, and so I I think these roadblocks are, are really, really important. And today I have two for you. And the first one has to do with passiveness. And passiveness is a killer in prayer. Have you ever been in a situation where you wish you would have had advanced notice? 
Well, I didn't see this one coming. I wish somebody would have given me some advice. There was this commercial um, that was, has been out recently, and I, don't, I think it's for an insurance company, or maybe it's like the preparedness initiative from the federal government. I'm unsure. But um, they're talking about a flood or an earthquake, and uh, they're like, well, there's an earthquake happening Thursday. Oh, Thursday, no good. But I could do Friday, and they're like going around the room saying like, when could they connect over this flood or or earthquake, and I can't remember what it is, but it was such a funny commercial because it's as if saying you could predict there's going to be a flood or a fire or an earthquake or a job loss or something changed in your circumstances, and the truth of the matter is none of us can fully ever be aware of what's coming around the corner, and I would love to have advanced notice because how many of you, like, you're hyper-preparers? You walk into the day, and you know exactly, like, this is exactly what I'm doing today. I've got my list. It's down to the minute. I'm going to accomplish these things. And if it goes all according to plan, you're like, this is the best day ever. Yes, I know there's a couple of people in the room like that. And it's okay that you could be that, that prepared, but there are some things that we just can't prepare for. And so how do we prepare for something that we have no idea what is coming? And the answer is this. Whatever season you're in and whatever thing that you are facing right now, you and I are called to be faithful and diligent and excellent in whatever that is that we are facing, whatever season that is that we are in. See, I think a lot of times when we get into the trial, when we get into the tough situation, when we get into that thing that seems way too big, like slavery, or, 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 or enter whatever, I mean, I haven't been a slave, but you guys get the idea. Whatever that trial is, we, we tend to not be prepared because we have been too passive in the past with the seasons that God gave us. Have you ever thought back and say, if I would have paid a little more attention there and there, I would be better prepared to handle this. We take that approach. We take that approach when if we were praying and we were aligned with the Holy Spirit, if we were connected with the season of God, if we were dedicating whatever trial and whatever thing we were facing as, God, what do you need to teach me right now? What are you preparing for, preparing me for, preparing my story for in the future? All of the sudden, when we hit that trial the next time, we are prepared because we know our stuff. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We have, well, we've faced challenges. And so prayer aligns us with what God is doing. But if we are passive in our prayer life, hearing from God, we will take a passive approach to what God is wanting to teach us in the season that we are in. And I just want you to hear this. Don't use Jesus as an excuse to be mediocre at anything. Whatever it is that you are doing, your job, your relationship, your parenting, your, your, your skill set, your dreams, your school, whatever it is that you are doing, whatever season you are in, don't be passive with it. Bring all of yourself 
Because when you do, all of a sudden, God will take what you are doing in excellence now to make it your victory and someone else's victory in the future. Because your story isn't just for you. So what God is wanting to do in you, don't take a passive approach. Be active. Of course, that means we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, The second roadblock for us this morning, so the first one is passiveness is a killer. Don't be passive. The second one is is this. In prayer, I, I think sometimes we struggle with this. Situational identity crisis. And here's what I mean. There are some of us that are one way when we are gathered together in a church setting, and we are completely someone different when we are at work, and someone different still when we are at home, and someone different still when we are out at the pub or the restaurant or wherever, and we have these different places where we become different people, and we are not spiritually centered. And what prayer is designed to do is not only allow us to hear from God, but remind us exactly who we are so that we are consistent in all of our places. You may have struggled with this. There's this old movie. um, I don't even know how I was reminded. Did we watch this? Um, Runaway Bride? Uh, It's like an old Julia Roberts movie, and uh, it's really boring, um, to be honest with you. But but one of the things that stood out to me in that movie was um, she would always leave whoever she was dating But her identity became consumed with whoever she was about to marry, so much so that she didn't know what kind of eggs she liked. That was like the the metaphor in the movie, was every person she was with, when she was with this guy, it was like egg white omelet. When it was this guy, it was scrambled. When it was this guy, it was fried. And so like every different guy was a different set of eggs. And then there's this line, I don't even know what kind of eggs I like. I wonder for us if... We don't face all of these crises because we don't know who we are. And so what prayer does, it gives us the source of our identity. See, we get to know where we are and where we're headed because we are always going to choose as Christ people. We are always going to choose to go in the direction God is going. We align ourselves. But you're not going to be sure of who you are, of what you want to do, if you are not first putting the time in in prayer. And so then you'll become willy-nilly all over the place. There's a security that happens when we do this in prayer. So with that said, those two roadblocks, let's jump into the scripture uh, part of the prayer in John 17 that Jesus is praying for you and me. Okay, we'll jump in verse 6. If you want to follow along on wayfinders.info, you can even put in your own uh, notes there. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. By the way, that sounds like a big identity statement, doesn't it? They were always yours. That means you and I, we are gods from beginning to end. From beginning to end. 
You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. He's praying for his disciples in the room. And then he says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me. So this part of the prayer isn't for the world. He does pray for the world later. This part of the prayer is for the believer. Because they belong to you. Another identity statement right there. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Right? Do you guys remember that from last week? Glory means revealed. They reveal, and so as believers, our lives reveal God's presence and light and wonder and beauty and grace in the world. Now, I am departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united, another identity statement, united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of your name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. That last line, except the one headed for destruction, he's talking about himself. He's giving himself up so that you and I don't have to be passive or have situational identity crisis so that we can know whose we are and where we are headed so that we can be united and bonded with Christ from beginning to end. This is a powerful, powerful prayer that you and I would come to know Christ so intimately that wherever we step, we would leave awake in a trail like my daughter getting out of the bath leaves a trail of water everywhere in the house. It would just be dripping off of us as we pitter-patter our little feet around our city and in and out of people's lives. That would be the type of thing that we are known for, but you can't know that unless you are bathed in the presence of the one that you are leaking everywhere. And so, it's with that in mind that I want to kind of I want to kind of speak to the crisis today. Because if you're anything like me, there's a lot of times where um, my life has been identified in moving from crisis to crisis to crisis. And we have these seasons where this is the problem and this is the problem and this is the problem and this is the problem. Anybody else's life work that way? It's just one problem to get solved into the next problem to get solved. I think the measure of faith is what your life looks like, what your faith looks like when everything is falling apart. Because when it hits the fan and when you're going through it, it's easy um, for us to throw up the crisis prayer, the I'm drowning prayer. Anybody prayed that prayer? right? I have no other options, so now I will pray. God, if you just get me through this, if you just take care of this problem, if you just, 
Then I, and we like start plea bargaining God, then I will do all of these great things for you, Lord. That prayer has never worked out well for me because I always bargain more than I can fulfill. God's grace always comes through no matter what, and so I end up trying to use God like a resource instead of a relationship, and that was one of our pitfalls, our roadblocks, our prayer killers that we talked about last week. See, what crisis does, what you learn, what crisis does is it it heightens and opens up and reveals everything that was already there. Crisis reveals who we really are. So who we were or are before the crisis comes to the surface and to the light in the midst of the crisis. And so this prayer that Jesus is praying in John 17, he actually just finished telling the disciples, hold on, buckle up, because crisis is on the way. Guess what? I'm leaving. I'm headed out. Now, he says something like this. It's better for you that I go because you're going to be handed the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to be manifest in your life. Not me as a physical being, but the spirit and presence and empowerment of God in your heart and life so that when crisis happens, when persecution happens, when the moment of all things going on, you can be found with more than enough. So for me, I like to be prepared. I like to know my stuff. I would love to have been that person to say, if I knew this was coming. But because I don't know this was coming, I have to be prepared for everything, which means I have to spend my time uniting and bathing myself in God's spirit and presence so that when the crisis happens, what gets exposed and revealed is the presence and power of God to be able to handle anything and everything that is thrown my way. But if I have not done that, then I will fall into the trap of believing that my situation is more powerful than my God. That my circumstances are somehow bigger than the Spirit. So, We've talked about this prayer, and there's a line in the prayer that really got me thinking about what does it mean that Jesus, with all of his authority, actually prayed something for you and for me, and it's this idea of protection, because I don't think you and I are meant to take a passive approach to faith. I think we're meant to get in on the the adventure, to get in on the adventure. God hasn't called us back from risk, but to be protected in the midst of it. And you and I, as people and as a church, 
we have to have the courage to live out the adventure that is placed in front of us. We aren't called to sit by the fireplace, nice and cozy, and have a pedestrian kind of faith. We are called to have a faith that takes us into the fire. And so with that in mind, I want to tell you guys the story of four guys, of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Do you guys know this story? Some of you may be familiar with it. It's found in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, because it's about a guy named Daniel, who also later becomes renamed. Anybody remember his new name? Now, Daniel becomes um, Belshazzar or Belishazzar. I can't say it right. But then the other three become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those are the names that we often associate with this story. So to give you some context of what happens in the story, the kingdom of Babylon has come to Israel and destroyed it. And they have been commissioned to take the best of the best, the brightest and the smartest and the strongest back to Babylon so that they can be reprogrammed as Babylonians. And so they take these four young men out of all of the men and they put them into a training program when they get to Babylon. And this training program consists essentially of what is called, it's, it's all part of the God Wars. This idea that my God's bigger than your God. In that worldview, in that time, basically, if, if you and your country destroyed another country, then obviously your God is more powerful than their God. And so to take it a step further, they would reprogram people. And so these four young men get into this training program where they are invited to worship and eat and drink and train with other young men. And all of the food and drink and all of the activities and training would have been a part of paying homage to their gods. So they would take the food and they would sacrifice it to their gods and then they would bring the food to all of the men in training. And they would say, our gods have made you strong and wise and powerful because you're ingesting part of what they have blessed. And so if you rose up to the top, right, if you went to the top, the thing that brought glory was the God that provided it. Not to mention, if you didn't rise to the top, you were killed. So it was kind of a no-win situation. And so that's the situation in Daniel 1 that Daniel... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in. And Daniel somehow finds favor with one of the attendants and gets permission for a trial period to not eat the food sacrificed to their gods, but instead eat only vegetables and water. Incidentally, this is what the Daniel fast, if you've heard of the Daniel fast, is based off of. It's the idea that you would be eating less or not enough for your health, and somehow in the midst of that, you would actually become more healthy, more aware, more wise. Now, this is long before the science of all of the different foods was about. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do this, and they become 
the top of the class, the finest looking and wisest of the class. And so they're allowed to keep on their diet. Fast forward to chapter 3. And some men find out that they weren't eating the food sacrificed to the idols. In Daniel chapter 3, when they find this out, they bring this to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, can you believe this? They don't bow down and worship you. They don't bow down and worship your gods. They don't eat the food sacrificed to your idols. And you know what the law says? The law says that anybody that doesn't do that, they get thrown into the fiery furnace, the pit, and they are burned alive. And so he brings them in, in front of him, and he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. You can eat the food that is prepared for you, or you can face the pit. Let me pull this up, because it's on the screen for you, but I want to make sure that we get it right. They say in response, here we go. This is from Daniel chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen for you. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments... But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God shall be able to rescue you from my power? That's a bold claim. What God can rescue you? Listen to their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O King Nibs, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Bold statement. Unknowing. They don't know the outcome. They were plucked from a life they were training for their whole lives into a different reality that they could not have trained for but they had been stored up in prayer to face this moment. They had been fasting and praying that God would show off who the one true God was through them. God, whom we serve, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then this, but even if he doesn't, We want to make it clear to you, your majesty. You see like the the snide, like, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty. Like, I'm just feeling that right now, right? That we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So here's what happens next. The guards bind the three of them together. They turn the furnace level up seven times hotter than normal. 
Crazy, right? Seven times hotter than normal. They throw them into the furnace. The guards who were charged with throwing them into the furnace are burned alive. That's what the story says. The guards are burned alive. So the guards are dead. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in the furnace, the fiery pit, and he says, didn't we bind the three men and throw them into the furnace? And they say, yes, your majesty. Then why do I see four men unbound? Check this out. I mean, what, it, it goes there. It's just crazy. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound. Can we just say that word unbound together? One, two, three. Unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Now, if I was them, I, I think at that point, if I'm walking around in the fire, I would have said, no, you come in. <laughs> it's feeling good in here, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire, stepped out of the fire. I love this story because what it is is the eternal promise of God saying, I'm praying for protection over you. But it's also the response of these young men who have been prayed up so that in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the problem, what rises to the surface and gets exposed is that they are not walking alone. Let's go all the way back and look at John. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world. That's you and me. But I am coming to you, Holy Father, for you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are united. Because in the midst of whatever fire, whatever season, whatever trial that we are facing, God is actually there in the midst of that with us. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost. It's God's plan that no one be lost. It's his plan that we would be fully protected in the fire with God's presence. Notice I didn't say protected from the fire. I said protected in the fire. When we are prayed up, when we have done the work ahead of time of aligning ourselves with the Spirit, when we have begun asking the question, God, what do you want to do in my life and in our world and through our church? Then those crises where we're looking for healing, where we're dealing with stress, 
where, where, where we have real challenges that we are facing in our lives. I'm not diminishing any of those things. They're real challenges and seasons and, and things that elicit emotion. And sometimes they're physical things that we need healing from. And sometimes they're not physical. They're emotional. And sometimes they're spiritual. And sometimes we just know that there's a mountain that needs to be moved because what it feels like is being cast into slavery or being thrown into the fiery furnace. But our faith wasn't designed to be one that sits by the fireside comfortable. God calls us into this adventure so that when we face the crisis that is ultimately going to happen in our story, do you know who gets the glory? He does. So my challenge for us this morning is this. I want to be the type of person that when I'm walking around, they see somebody unbound. But they don't just see me. They see a second person. I want us to be a group of people that when they see three of us walking around the city, they don't just see three, they see a fourth and they think, who is with them that is so powerful it looks like God? We get called into uncomfortable places. Our life is going to be full of unexpected twists and turns. And what will rise to the surface for us, church, is a God-revealing glory if we are prayed up and ready. If we have invited the Spirit to walk with us. If we have united ourselves, not with a situation where every situation we become someone different, but united us with the one true Father. And His prayer for you and for me is that we would be so united, we would be associated with the name Jesus. I don't know where you need to be unbound this morning. I don't know what fire it is that you're walking in this morning. But I do know that God wants to walk right beside you. And the only time that I have eyes to see ears to hear, and the courage to say, even if I don't make it through, our God, my God, will still be revealed as the one true God. That type of courage only happens in prayer. And so church... I pray for protection, not from, but in. 